Well, thank you so much for showing up. Um, I'm just really uh, grateful that you're here. I think showing up is the first step in any um, challenge that we face in life is just being here. And I know we all have full plates and um, work and families and partners and state of the world. And, and now this um, recent news with the uh, Supreme Court's opinion. So um, when I heard that, even though my plate too was full, I just felt like I need to take action. I can't just sit sit by here um, and watch this happen because it feels like a slippery slope to, to other rights being taken away. So um, I sense that many of you feel the same way and, and that's why you're here today. So thank you, I really appreciate that. I wanna thank um, Diane Campbell and Nicole McNaughton who've been very helpful in getting this organized. Um, when I first found out about the opinion, one of, a couple of the first people I reached out to was um, one of my girlfriends, Jen Luke, who's the creator and executive producer of the Lady Part series on Ellen Tube and, um, and Megan Macaluso, who's the chief development officer at Planned Parenthood Marmonti. Um, both of them are longtime women's health advocates. And, and so we started chatting, what can we do? What can we do? And I thought, you know, I'm just going to reach into my toolbox of galvanizing um, and energizing mom power, which I have a background in, uh, as a mom. That's like, I feel like that's my, my greatest gift and place where I strive to, to use my power as a market force and hopefully a role model to do good. So uh, Jen Luke and Megan introduced me to Dr. Sherry Ross, who I'm super, super grateful to welcome here. She is a OBGYN author and entrepreneur and health expert who's also the co-host with Sarah Highland on Lady Parts. And she's won numerous top doc and patient's choice awards. And she's also been on Planned Parenthood's board for Planned Parenthood Los Angeles for 14 years. And <clears throat> uh, just thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. And Amy Everett, also a leading women's health advocate, um, current president at Golden State Opportunity, working on equity in California, and former leader at NARAL and Pro-Choice America and Planned Parenthood. And we're just super, super grateful to have you here with your legislative background. And Kali Baird, a uh, dear friend who, who does a lot of work in the area of DEI and women's health advocacy as well, and who works in DEI at a local K-12 independent school. So thank you, ladies. And again, all of you, thank you so much. Um, thank you, thank you. I, I, when this first happened, I thought of the um, 1791 Declaration of the Rights of Women of the Female Citizen by Olympe de Gouges. And, and I think of, um, and it was, it was basically saying like, we are humans and we deserve to you know, be treated as such. And, and it's, it's a beautiful piece if you ever have a chance to look at it. Um, but I think of that and The Handmaid's Tale, the popular TV show, which I couldn't watch more than like 20 minutes of um, the civil rights movement and women suffragettes and my, I'm going to tear up my, my grandmother, um, grandmothers who are both such vigilant um, fighters for women's voices and freedom and, and so many of the strong women in, in my life. Um, and I just think this is 2022. This is not 1791 and we can't go backwards. So thanks for being here. So we can all, I, I'm certainly not an expert in this. I'm just trying to, you know, gather that power of moms and the momfluentials. So Amy, um, maybe you could start with giving us a little bit of um, background on the legislation that got us to this point and how that informs where, what we can do and where we're going. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Kimberly, for inviting me. I'm glad Megan connected us. Um, so, you know, in order to figure out what to do next, it is really helpful to understand where we have been and how we got to where we are. So I'm gonna give you like the kindergarten version of where we are and where we're going. And I'm sure Dr. Ross and, and others could augment this, but I'm gonna go back just to 1973, right? That is when Roe was decided. The important thing to know about the Roe decision were two things. One is that at the same time, going through all this uh, number of state legislatures was a legislative program to legalize abortion. And then this case got surfaced at the Supreme Court and the decision was handed down and all the work at the state legislatures was halted because we had Roe. Um, and so this has ramifications for today that I can address later. Um, the other thing about Roe is it was the first time it introduced this idea of the trimesters. 
Um, this was not part of legal precedent. This wasn't what was being argued. It was what Harry Blackman handed down as a way to um, craft this decision. At the time, a lot of people thought, and this is what you'll hear a lot about, that it, the Constitution doesn't have a right to privacy. And so this was an unenumerated right, meaning it isn't stated in the Constitution. And that's actually true. It is not stated in the Constitution. It's a matter of interpretation. But it was the law of the land. In 1976, a guy named Henry Hyde decided that um, the public money should not be spent to support anybody accessing abortion care. And a Hyde Amendment was introduced and passed. And just so you know, has been passed every single year since then as part of every budget. So every time Democrats or Republicans have controlled the process, Hyde Amendment has been a part of it. And what happened with the Hyde Amendment is it made abortion very challenging financially for all low-income women to access that care. So we started to have a cleavage between women who could afford to access abortion care and women, primarily women of color, immigrants, low-income women, were not able to access abortion care. Um, so fast forward to 1992, um, there's a lot that happened in between, but this was the Casey decision. And ironically, the lawyer who was arguing the case was Sam Alito. Um, and this was a case out of Pennsylvania where he had written a, a law where it was um, things like parental consent and spousal consent. And all of these other what became burdens were in this law that was being um, presented to the Supreme Court. And at the time, the, the whole country was like, we have to save Roe, we have to save Roe. And so Sandra Day O'Connor worked with Kennedy and they crafted this thing where they saved Roe, and I'm gonna use air quotes on that. And, but they also introduced this thing called undue burden. They said, states can regulate abortion as long as they didn't create an undue burden on women. And so honestly, everybody celebrated. People were like, we saved Roe, we're great. And the movement really shrunk. The money shrunk, people went and they started saving seals and, and puppies and, and at that was a time when the other side was already like really motivated and moving forward with their state strategy. And we kind of went home, uh, but we had saved Roe, so we felt safe. And the courts all across the country didn't find an undue burden on a woman's access to abortion care until 2016. So they were regulating, um, this is where the partial birth abortion law came from. This is where parental consent and notification laws came from. This is where 24, 72 hour waiting periods came from. Uh, everything kept going. Um, there was no burden too great for a woman to bear until 2016 in Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstadt. That was the first time I'd say we actually won a case. Um, and there have been a few since then, but I wanted to give you that history because that brings us up to the Dobbs case that is before the Supreme Court right now. And this is a case that says that out of Mississippi, I believe, that says you cannot access abortion care after 15 weeks. There's two exceptions. One is um, life of the mother. And I, and honestly, I forget what the other one is. Um, but, uh, but this is the case, but Georgia, Tennessee, others in the last four or five years have been doing these trial cases where in Texas, right? A six week abortion ban, a 10 week abortion ban. Um, they are aiming at Roe uh, because they wanna take it down and that has been their sole goal. And I will say that for the last 49 years, the majority of the reproductive rights movement has been on only protecting Roe. And I will come back to that in the course of our conversation about why, and it's really a conversation about is Roe, is saving Roe a good thing or is it a challenge for our movement and where we go from here? So I will stop there um, and hand it back to Kimberly, but just to give you sort of a brief history of abortion cases in the country. Thank you so much, Amy. Um, Dr. Sherry, I'd love to get your perspective if there's anything you wanna add to the legislative um, perspective that you've seen. Uh, and also, if you could share a bit about when you and I first spoke, you said you're you're already seeing and have been seeing so many um, impacts of people having to come to California from other states. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, first, thanks, Kimberly, for having me. Uh, 
Jen Luke has that way of connecting people uh, for any boots on the grounds conversation as this is that. Uh, the Mississippi uh, ruling um, for allowing terminations as, as Amy, and thank you for giving such a great uh, kindergarten version of, which to me felt like high school version of, of what was happening. Uh, also medical emergencies or fetal anomalies were the two other uh, sort of caveats to that. Um, I, as I'm an OBGYN for the last uh, almost 30 years, and I've been on the board of Planned Parenthood for what feels like, you know, a short time, but like 14 years. And I've, we've really seen, and, and truth be told, we've been preparing, you know, I think as soon as, you know, Trump came into office, you know, we, we were getting ready um, and, and really planning ahead as being one of the biggest, um, really most skilled and largest Planned Parenthood um, affiliate in the country um, to deal with abortions of any, anything, really anyone under 23 weeks. Um, when, when Texas <clears throat> happened, we've already been getting uh, women. Um, we get them to our clinics. We, we bring them um, escorted. We, you know, uh, really take good care of them physically and mentally. So the good news as far as, you know, knowing when this happened, I mean, we are all in crisis mode. This is the crisis of the largest proportion for women, our reproductive rights, our, our freedom in other, in other areas, whether it's contraception, gay marriage, and so on. So, you know, the crisis is now here. And I love that we're mobilizing forces, talking about it, fighting back, because that's really what we all have to do, um, stand arm in arm and really, really fight this on. But the good news from just a medical perspective, are there are affiliates surrounding, you know, possibly these, you know, 26 states that if this does come to pass, um, that we're really trying to create, you know, safe haven in uh, different areas throughout the country, which is sort of the good news. If you think about plan, our Planned Parenthood, when one in five women in the U.S. have actually, you know, been to a Planned Parenthood. Um, so there's so much um, support out there, and it's it's great to sort of have, have all of you now um, together talking and trying to really figure out, you know, best strategies to get the word out, to continue our anger and to really, you know, protest something that is just unbelievable. Um, and I don't think any of us really can believe that this is really happening or potentially could, could actually happen. So it seems to me that there's really like two, two paths that need to happen right now with action. One, it's, it's supporting the, the, the women on the ground, like the Megan Macaluso's, all the people that have been working in the women's rights and women's health space for so long. Um, and the, the healthcare professionals like you, Dr. Cherry, that are gonna be feeling the impact of this so much, the women that are going to be immediately impacted. And then there's also like the political path. So there's like two kind of paths of action. Does that seem accurate? I would actually offer also another one. Okay, great. Which is, um, so the reproductive freedom movement largely is divided into three sections. One is reproductive rights, right? These are the folks like NARAL and a Planned Parenthood, which is also in the reproductive health space. that have been just focusing on, we need to make sure we protect our rights. Then you have the reproductive health groups that are like, we need to get women and anybody who can get pregnant, the health care that they need when they need it. And then there's another group called the Reproductive Justice Organizations. And these are women of color organizations. They are not as well-funded as the NARALs and the Planned Parenthoods and everybody else, but they are the folks who are literally on the ground in the communities of the most vulnerable. And I will just posit that I think they're really our future because they are looking at this intersectionally. Roe allowed the conversation to really focus around a Supreme Court case. Um, so we've spent 49 years protecting a Supreme Court case that excluded low-income women, that excluded vulnerable women. And the people who really got that really fast were the women most impacted, 
So I'd say the, the, the other angle is actually focusing on how do we lift up the reproductive justice movement of the women most impacted by this um, court case, because they haven't had choices. All of our choices, I, and I'm going to be blunt here and say I'm, I'm briefly looking at this, and we are all predominantly white women. Mm-hmm. And But so we have always had a choice in many ways that women of color have not. They argue that Roe didn't mean anything for them because they never had access because there's one clinic that's open for one week in their state. So I think another angle is actually lifting up and supporting those organizations as well mm-hmm. as the political and the fundraising and the healthcare. And just to, to piggyback on that, um, you know, we know that, that really 75% of those that are getting uh, abortions are in the low socioeconomic uh, groups. So to Amy's point, you know, Black, Hispanic, Indigenous, um, the disabled, LGBTQ, uh, the long list of these groups are the ones that we're going to really see. And we've already sort of witnessed uh, this. these are the groups that, that have the hardest time because it's about money. You know, we're talking about access. We're talking about what we can do. But you know, the bottom line, and you're right, Amy, I mean, in California, we're not going to really see this problem, but it's, it's money. I mean, how does someone who a single mom, who's, you know, Hispanic, you know, raising her two kids working, you know, two jobs, how does she travel, you know, from, you know, somewhere in in Oklahoma, she's got a, you know, some of the numbers of, of actually getting transportation, you know, has been, you know, really um, substantial days on end just to get to that clinic. And then who's going to do childcare? So money should really be part of this conversation. And that is why donating money to the right places, whether it's certain Planned Parenthoods in these targeted states or, you know, PPFA, the Federation, that is that is also certainly a good place. But it could be Planned Parenthood Los Angeles, you know, because we're the ones who are sending, you know, Ubers, you know, to different like Arizona, some people we've said, hey, take this Uber and just come. So those conversations are happening. And I, I will add that we are doing a lot of telehealth and teleabortions. So this is really a nuance that we sort that of mean? Been... So yeah, I mean, this is since 2020. Mm-hmm. Again, gearing up for this you know, potential crisis that we are now, again, really getting much closer to facing. Um, there's a lot of, you can actually get on the phone and be screened and you can possibly get medication or medical uh, abortions, which 54% of abortions in the U.S. now, no more DNCs or anything. You can uh, get your abortion through medication. So there's been a lot of, uh, not just Planned Parenthoods, but other groups that sort of do um, abortions through telehealth. Yeah, great. That, that was one of the questions someone sent me ahead of time was, um, you know, how will this, this legislation, if it, when it passes or becomes a ruling, how will that impact the morning after pill? Because that has been such a more accessible means of, of preventing pregnancy for, for women. You, well, well, just just, just to, to answer, answer your question, question uh, whoever had asked that. So, so the morning after pill, I mean, it, you know, that is if you can take a couple pills during the when you've had sex during the sort of the high fertility time, or sometimes your, the condom has broken, and and some women will choose to take the morning after pill, um, and ideally within seventy two hours. But you know. You know, that's always plan B. We always like to get to plan A and that's being on a good birth control, which doesn't always happen. Again, because of access, you know, these women in remote areas and in rural communities, you know, know, these are the the groups that we really need to reach out to. Amy, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I would add from a sort of a legislative thing is I don't think the other side is not aware that we are trying to get not only the morning after pill, which is different than the medical abortion that the doctor was talking about. She's talking about you're getting two pills and it's going to induce an abortion of a fertilized egg. 
the morning after preventing the whole thing from happening. Um, but they are very acutely aware that this is a strategy and that women want to utilize it. Um, and so they are starting to ban telemedicine completely. Um, and so there are, you know, a variety of groups that are sort of, you know, uh, you know, the irony here is like Ireland used to have women on waves, which was a, a ship out in international waters that would bring people out to do abortion. Well, now there's kind of emerging women on waves in America to get people telemedicine without tipping off anybody, without going through the, um, because the thing, one of the things that is at stake with Dobbs, with this leaked court case and, and what may happen is that they want us, they just want to say, we're going to put it back to the states. And as a doctor, I'm like, okay, so if I live in Arkansas or if I live in Illinois, I have different access to medical care. I mean, tell a cancer patient that they can only get certain care in their state. And then that legislature is saying it's illegal for you to cross state lines. Right. Oh, so it's getting it having a federal bill is what we need. Now, what's before us is called the Women's Health Protection Act. And I might be an outlier here, and I'm sure the doctor may disagree with me, but it's not good enough. It's just codifying Roe, and Roe had faults. And I think we have an opportunity now to do better, and we should demand to do better. Um, but that is why we needed Roe in the first place, was to have a federal equalization so your zip code didn't dictate whether you could access safe and health, safe and legal abortion or not. And we're going to go right back to some states it's legal and safe, and in a lot of states it's not legal and safe. And that will disrupt American culture in a way that we have, we, our generation, if I'm looking correctly here, most of us have never experienced before. Um, so there's a lot at stake at, at just sending it back to the states. It's it's literally taking away rights and creating a, a patch quilt of, of rights, depending on your zip code. Um, I don't want to jump. No, I, mean, I just, just finally, you know, I, I agree with you, Amy, and I, and I think it's just the the beginning of how our rights and the minority rights of, of so many will be, you know, potentially at stake here. So it's just the beginning. Um, of just going backwards, uh, and, and it's it's a very threatening and vulnerable place for all of us. I, yeah, thank you. I want to um, not jump over because I, I think one of the areas of confusion, and I, uh, you know, ignorance is bliss, but we don't want to hang out there anymore. Um, <laughs> and and so I keep hearing, and I have a attorney husband, and he's like, oh, it's gonna it's gonna be a ruling. It's like none of this is even worth it. And then I have other friends who are very well educated who are saying, no, no, this, this, if enough of us protest and raise our voices, we can stop this from becoming a ruling instead of just an opinion. So could, could you give us a little um, intel on that? Either of you, yeah, either of you, but yeah. Yeah, um, to me, this is like the Russian roulette question that's happening in Washington, DC amongst policymakers right now is, this was a this was the first time in Supreme Court history that a draft ruling was leaked. And it's like, who leaked it and why? And I will share with you my opinion. I'm pretty sure Sam Alito leaked it for two reasons. One, because he wanted to put it out there and see what the reaction would be. It also makes us all angry right now. So in June, if this is the same ruling, we're not going to have the same reaction in June. And two, and this is what my biggest fear is, is that in June, they will release a different kind of ruling. One where he doesn't say we are overturning Roe and Casey. And we all say, yay, we saved Roe again. But, but everything else he wrote in there actually eviscerates it even more. So I think that, um, so we can protest all we want right now and we don't know what the court will do. I won't be surprised if this is not the final one. I think this was a trial balloon. This is my opinion. This is just a trial balloon um, to see what would happen. I think it will change. And even if it doesn't, my question is, it, it, how do we as women in America and how do we as a reproductive health rights and justice movement um, is 
why we are, um, it gives us a moment to rethink how we want to do the strategy. Um, and I can go into the question about why I don't think Roe went far enough. Maybe. Yeah, I would, I would love for you to, when, when you and I first spoke about that, it was, I was like, what? And then as you talked, I was like, oh, right on. This is great. So yeah, if you yeah. could share that, that'd be great. So Roe left out a lot of women. Um, the way it got decided and the way it was shaped and the way it was implemented, it introduced stigma on abortion. I mean, there was stigma before, but now people were exercising judgment on when you accessed abortion care. And like there was good abortions if you did it in the first trimester, but you're getting a late term one. And, you know, we all probably know a woman who's had to get a late term abortion. And there's no stigma in having a pregnancy that goes wrong. It just happens. So A, it introduced stigma to the whole thing and it made us judgy with each other, right? It, it, it just de it, it destabilized our solidarity and it left out women. It left out low-income women. It left out women of color. It created all of these opportunities for states to pass laws that made it harder. So there was, there was an opportunity for white women who had money and women of color who had money to be able to access abortion care. That was a minority of the people who actually have to access abortion care because, you know, we have bad um, sex education in America. We have um, terrible access to birth control. It's getting better, but it wasn't very good before the ACA, the um, Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. Um, so all of these things stepped up into, it is really hard for women to access abortion care. And that was based on Roe. And the challenge is that Roe should have been a starting place for us. And we made it our ending place. Every time I spent 17 years working in reproductive freedom, and every time I brought up something that was possibly innovative or different, I was told that might compromise Roe. We can't do it. I'm like, but Roe sucks, so why not like make it better? Um, but the reality was we have been held captive to protecting Roe and Roe didn't protect everybody. So I look at this and I'm probably in a minority here, but I look at this as an opportunity to actually do it right now that we don't have to defend Roe anymore. We can actually go better think bigger, think more inclusive, take all the lessons of the last 49 years and correct it for the future generations. And I am hopeful because the thing that we always forget is that more Americans support the right to choose than don't. Polling in conservative states with Republicans, 80% of Americans support the right to choose. 80% of Americans would not elect to have an abortion. That's a different question, but we are the majority and we act like the minority. We act like this is super controversial. We act like, oh, I have to walk on eggshells, but you would never walk into a room knowing you had 80% of the support and walk on an eggshell. Yeah, and yet the other side is 20% and they have terrorized all of us into silence and fear. And we have to be done with that. So we have to move forward with, um, with the, row 2.0 or just something completely different. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because one of the things that, um, I, I keep referring to the sisterhood here and, and, um, before we got on, um, I was texting with, with Sherry and Amy, um, should we do this as a webinar? So people are not able to see each other and keep it more anonymous, or do we want to be able to see each other? And we decided we we wanted to see each other because this feels like it's a time of sisterhood and you can of course keep your camera off, you know, change your name on here, whatever you feel comfortable doing. And we're not, you know, posting this anywhere publicly, be assured. Um, but I'm assuming you have some similar feelings to me of like desperation over the last couple of years, if you're here tonight of feeling like, where are we heading? Like as a society, as a world. And what keeps me going is, is thinking, okay, it's like, we clearly have things aren't working the way we're doing them. Every part of our biosphere is under collapse. All of our systems are under collapse, education, healthcare, political, um, environmental, and, and, and then we have some of the recent last six years of, or 
16 to 20 presidential leadership. Um, and it feels, and this, this dark side of, of America seems like it's, it's surfacing more, right? Like it's been easy for many of us to just kind of go along and think, you know, life is great. There's stuff happening, but I don't really have to pay attention to it. Um, and, and I keep telling myself, it's almost like, like there was this infection under, this is really gross, pardon me, but it was like we had an infection under our skin as a country, as a world, and and it needed to be brought out. <laughs> we have to pop it so the healing can start. So like hearing you say that, okay, so we lose Roe versus Wade. There's this immediate feeling of, oh my God, the sky is falling even more and there's no hope. But what I love about this perspective is it actually, I think, brings us more of like, let's let's build fresher and let's do better next time around like we can all do better and and we gosh we all know we we need to find hope and slivers of light here where we can so i would say that um so california i don't know how many people are in california but um within the last four months I've been consulting with different people and now it's becoming a reality, which is a constitutional amendment that says women have, people have access to abortion care, period, full stop, bunch of definitions, but that's what we need to do. We just need to take the, um, we need to solve it once and for all. We can't have vague, we can't be vague, et cetera. If somebody asks you, how do you do it? We take away the three trimester thing um, and we just say, you know, look, people should make their own healthcare decisions, including access to abortion care. And California will do that. Other states will do this. And so for all of you who are like, yeah, but what about Texas and, you know, Alabama? Things to know about those states, about the places we think we would lose. In the last, I think, 10 years, Every time something related to abortion has been on the ballot, direct democracy, we have won, I think eight out of 10 times. We lost once a parental consent law, I think. Um, but we won in places like Louisiana. We won in places like North and South Dakota. Like these are not places that are bastions of, of pro-choice activity. But when voters, that 80% majority of Americans who support the right to choose, had the opportunity to, to vote on it directly, they protected the right to choose. And it is because, and this gets wonky, our state legislatures do not reflect who we are as a country. And that is on purpose because the gerrymandering, et cetera, has created an imbalance in representation so state legislatures and Congress are out of whack. And I'm like, fine, be out of whack. Let's do direct democracy. You know, Alito in this draft statement was like, it should go back to our state elected leaders. And I'm like, screw the elected leaders, bring it back to the people. Let the people vote on this. And if we do that, we will win. So we need to start and keep going. It took them 49 years to put in place the systems to dismantle Roe. By the way, Sam Alito wrote the roadmap for dismantling Roe. Um, so the ironies are, are huge if you follow it. I don't think it's going to take us 49 years to protect a woman's uh, the right to choose for anybody who wants it. I think within 10 years, if we are organized and we stay in solidarity and we work together and we are inclusive, we will win. And I will just say one other thing on this. When I was at NARAL, I ran two programs. One was our millennial outreach. And this is when millennials were like 25 or 30. They're now 40. So they're buying houses. They're having children. Their children might be getting married soon. They are predominantly pro-choice. And the men are more pro-choice than the women. So they are now coming into their own. And they care. And we all know millennials, right? And Gen Z. They don't take any BS from anybody. We, our generation, I'm a Gen Xer, when they would say things, yeah, but what about public funding? We were caught, we were like, whoa, maybe, I don't know. Oh, or don't you think women shouldn't have it late term? Oh, I don't know, that's terrible. They're like, screw you. Get out of my decision-making process. They are very clear. We, 
Hem and Holland got scared. They're very clear. Um, if they don't like Alexander Cortez, Ocasio, I always mess up her name, but you all know who I'm talking about, AOC, they're coming in spades. The way she talks about issues is coming on this issue. So I feel very emboldened and very excited as long as we don't screw it up. And that is that that's where we, this is where this mobilization, that's where this grassroots come in. We have to go to the organizations like the Planned Parenthood, like the NARALs and say, do the constitutional amendment, be bold. Don't be afraid. Like lean into the fact that we're the majority because so many people don't. Sherry, I'd love to get your perspective on, on this last part in terms of being bold and, and supporting women that are coming into, you know, the, in, that are needing the healthcare right now. Yeah, I mean, it just goes back to, you know, another problem is we have a very broken medical system. So, you know, there, there are few potholes, you know, in, in all of this conversation that we are all going to unsurface. But all the more reason that we have to be our best advocates. So not just on our mammograms or, you know, do I need to get screened for heart disease or, you know, do I need a pap still or why do I have painful sex? Yes, to all that, you have to always, you know, be your best advocate. You cannot wait for the doctor to do so, to guide you. And, and I think similarly, like, this is, this is an issue of our generation, probably will be the biggest healthcare crisis that we face. And when we just felt like we were at the top of the mountain, you know, the last four years have really changed, or last couple of years have really, well, many years, four plus two, yeah, there's been a lot of, you know, struggles. And I think that now more than ever, we have to really fight back and be heard and, and get talk. We have to do the grassroots movement of educating people that you never, you know, thought you'd talk, be talking to about these issues, whether you're taking your, you know, your kids to school and you're standing there with the moms and they're worrying about, you know, the soccer game being canceled. I mean, th these are the way we all have to boots on the ground and, and share our knowledge of these conversations. I mean, Amy, you, you, I just loved what you were doing. Um, and, and to support the groups that we know are doing work, meaningful work, because some will be more than others. I mean, when I tell you that Planned Parenthood now has telemedicine in 21 other affiliates, and many of you are surprised, well, because we're, we're really, I don't know where you would know that anyway, but it's like, this is great. They could get on the hotline and they're, you know, someone in Texas could actually get do a medical termination if they're six, eight, 10 weeks, even up to 12 weeks, they can take pills and take care of this problem and do it safely and, and with follow-up. And I mean, Planned Parenthood honestly gives the best health care. It's, 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 I'm so proud of the organization because it's, you know, 93% of what we do is nothing to do with abortions. We are doing uh, education and we're doing, now we're doing mammograms and breast exams and vasectomies and, and now we're seeing pregnant women, believe it or not. So very little of what we do has to do with abortions because we're all about contraception, STI, you know, detection, prevention. Um, so it's, it's us, we all have an obligation after this meeting you know, to, you know, call five of our friends who, you know, you need to just educate and help. And, and that's the kind of movement and empowerment that I would like to see. So maybe we, I, I really want to make sure that um, all of us here tonight, including myself, because this was my driver's like, I don't know what to do. Um, like, what are some takeaway action items that, that we can leave with tonight? So when we are at the next soccer game, or we're having our next girls night, or um, you know, whatever the situation is, or we have, we can find some extra time to take something else on to be of positive impact. Like what are some real tangible action items that we can do? I've got a long list, so <laughs> I will only share a few yeah. and then we can talk about that. And, then and I can, can send a follow-up email out to everybody too. So don't feel like you have to catch everything tonight. I think in this moment, this moment being like this week where this news came down and it has been, you know, mind boggling that we live in a country where this could actually happen. 
Um, do yourself the favor of two things. One is find a, find one, maybe two organizations that you really want to support. Um, I sent Kimberly a whole list of, of groups, and you probably know some. Um, don't spread yourself too thin because it can get really scary and you want to do everything. Pick a few and really invest in them. Invest with your time, invest with your treasure, and your sharing. If they send you a petition, sign it. Like, if you want to read it, read it. But just sign it. Find somebody you trust. Um, and that also protects you because this is going to be a really hard ride. Um, and we are in it for the long term. I mean, I say 10 years, and that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping less. But we have to be kind to ourselves and, like, make sure that we are doing what we can and protecting ourselves for the long term. Not go down Facebook rat holes and, and whatnot. Um, so that's one thing. Give now and protect yourself. But then, like, on, like, the really to-do thing is, um, you know, there's a lot of petitions being sent around. Sign them. Show up at rallies. Our numbers matter. People watch the numbers. Call your elected representatives. And I don't mean just in Congress. And I don't mean just at your state legislature. It is now the time to call your school board members and your um, city council folks and start holding them accountable. Where do they stand on this issue? Because they are the people going to Congress in the next 10 years. They are the folks who are going to be making decisions at state legislature. People need to know you're going to hold them accountable for how they vote today and what they say and what they do. So just tell them you're looking for leadership and what are they going to do about it? Are they going to do an op-ed? Are they going to go on the record? Because we don't do that very well. And so all these people get into office and we're like, oh, we don't know where they stand. Let people know you're going to be asked in the 2022 election cycle for, for, for people to vote for you. Go to a city council member, be that person, raise your hand and be like, will you pass a resolution supporting abortion rights in our city? Doesn't even matter what it means. Will you sign that? Will you support that? Um, hold people accountable and let them know you're watching. And so when you're talking to the other soccer moms or whoever, ask them if they'll go to that city council meeting with you. Like, it is a lot more fun and easier and, and, and uh, courage-inducing when you have more people with you that you know. Um, so do that. Band together and do things like that. If you, um, if you work at a company, especially, there are three things you can do. One, um, make sure their benefits not only cover reproductive health care, but they're adding packages to protect anybody in the organization who may work in a state where they can't access it. This is becoming more and more common. And then also tell them you want them to make a statement about it. Now, companies are skittish, but a few years ago, we had over 400 CEOs sign a public statement in the New York Times supporting access to abortion. So it's our, the, the, the trail has been blazed. Now we want to see people walk through that. Um, and then make sure um, all of your giving, your political giving, is aligned with your values. Really study where people are. Call them up and ask them. Um, don't give a dime to anybody where you don't know where they stand on this issue. So those are just a few things that I would um, throw out there and recommend. Um, but there will be other things. There will be petitions to find. There will be bills. There will be ballot initiatives. And when we get those ballot initiatives, Give generously to them. They are very expensive and they're very hard, but we have a winning track record. So when those happen, or in whatever state you're in, advocate to get it on, on your, go do it. Um, go talk to the Planned Parenthood. I'm sure they're all, no matter where they are, already in conversation about it. Um, go talk to people. That, and if you don't think something's happening in your state, literally go make it happen. Um, that is very empowering, not only for the organizations that you call up and say, let's do it, but for yourself and your community too. What, what impact can we have when we're in California and I'm in a very liberal part of California? Um, how, what impact can we have in other states? How can we support healthcare providers, the doctors that are trying to still be able to be there for women with all of this and, um, and politically? I'll, I mean, Amy, you said such wonderful things, but you know, you you know that there are still 
you know, abortion is still legal. Uh, there are Planned Parenthoods throughout the country that are doing it. Um, uh, you know, uh, just thinking of when um, Oklahoma uh, or Texas was having their issues, everyone made a mass exodus. They had an 800% increase in doing um, abortions at, from all the people that came from Texas. Uh, now Oklahoma is going to be on the changing its status possibly. But the point is, is you can donate to different Planned Parenthoods in different states. And they really use that money for patient care. Um, and, and this, I think, would be very helpful. The, the Federation, um, you know, they use a lot of their money for, def, you know, the legal uh, attorney fees. And, and it goes differently. It doesn't necessarily go to patient care. Is that, is that right, Amy? Um, I don't want to step on anyone's feet. But um, the, the clinics really use that money directly. And, and I think when, when Trump was president, we made more money. Uh, those four years than ever. It was sort of a, that was the best part of that. Um, and, and certainly we're using that money now, but you certainly can use that money to fund um, local clinics that are actually doing um, care for patients. So that would be a way to really research like where are clinics in lower income communities and, and donate directly to them. That's a, I love that idea. The things that I sent you are also include a lot of the abortion funds that, that also complement what Planned Parenthood does with their clinics to support women and, and people who are pregnant to get the care that they need. So there's a, a lot of places to um, support women accessing care, and it's critical. Um, I would also say, go volunteer. Go, go volunteer in a clinic. See what the help that they need. Um, I think a lot of the clinics that remain are going to become targets and they need clinic escorts and people to help protect the women and the people who are walking into these clinics. Um, it's, it's empowering and it's a little scary, but it also, when you're done, you really kind of feel pretty badass. Um, we're having really made a difference in the lives of some people. Some of the abortion, um, there's a, um, in California, there's something called the, um, the act is called Access Health Justice, and they look for people who will open their homes to women seeking care so that if you have a room in your house that you can open up to somebody where they can come and stay with you either the night before or the day of their um, appointment, that saves them a lot of money. If you can pick them up and just drive them to a hotel or to, a, to the clinic, um, there are real things that you can do directly to help women accessing this care right now. Wow. Um, yeah. That's, that's definitely on the ground um, <laughs> and things that I hadn't thought of. So that's, that's really good to know. Um, one of the things that I find frustrating with this and terrifying is that um, it's really easy for some people to think of like abortion is is over there. And so this doesn't impact me or my friends or whatever so much anymore. Um, but to me, this and part of why I wanted to organize this this gathering is that it feels like it's a real slippery slope of like taking away this right and then, you know, what's next. And the other day, um, Diane and I went to um, a gathering in San Francisco at the federal building, um, a march and protest. And, and I got super teary thinking like, what a privilege that we have that we can peacefully gather. And, and if things were to continue heading in a certain direction, that right could quickly be gone too, you know? Um, and so could you speak a little bit just about the connection between women's health, reproductive rights and civil rights and just human rights in general and what, uh, what, specific actions we can take politically, I guess, mainly in that regard. Yeah, I would say that a really important thing for folks to understand is that Roe and the, that right to privacy is the underpinning of um, same-sex marriage being legal. It is the underpinning of access to birth control. It is the underpinning of interracial marriage. I mean, that right to privacy. And that's why Alito spent a lot of time in that draft thing like this doesn't affect anything else only abortion and the reality is that's what they do that's the camel whole body practically in the tent by now um so don't be fooled by what he writes he knows exactly what he is doing 
Um, and he is opening it up to get rid of the right to privacy, which unravels everything else. Um, but in terms of, you know, it being a human right and a civil right, uh, there's a great book called um, that Elise Hogue, who's a former president of NARAL wrote, um, I believe it is called The Lies That Bind. And it is about how the, the, the anti-abortion movement actually didn't have anything to do with abortion. It is a misogynist movement to control women. And it is incredibly well-researched and goes back to the very core of when these things started to happen. Um, and they started to happen during the civil rights movement when, when conservatives got together and, and saw that they were going to start losing power, right? They were going to lose how they educated children. Now all of them, black and brown and white kids, are going to be in school together. What does that mean for them? Um, they couldn't have prayer in the school. They couldn't do all of these things. Um, and then women are, are out in the streets, burning their bras, having birth control and sex. Oh my God! Um, so they began this very cohesive, long game campaign. To arrive at today, and today isn't the end game. I mean, today meaning the potential of the in a row. It's not the end game. What they didn't count on, and what I think they miscalculated about, is that um, their people are their side is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. Fewer and fewer people are identifying as you know um, as deeply religious. Fewer and fewer, more and more people are growing up in a multiracial, multigender world, and they're fine with it. And so we have the old and the new about to clash. And the people who hold the office of power are the old, but the people who have the power, if they pick it up and run with it, is everybody who's coming up right now who, who is about to start voting. So um, it is fundamental that women's reproductive rights are inextricably, inextricably linked to all the other rights that we take for granted. And more importantly, all of our children take for granted. Try explaining to my 12 year old daughter who is going through her own gender identity thing along with all of her friends that she can't, I don't let her go to Florida with her friend because she can't say gay in Florida. And she just can't wrap her head around how that could even possibly be. So like there's a whole other world about to explode. And I think and hope that this is the last grasp of the misogynist folks. You open Kimberly talking about how there's an infection in America and it's always been there and it blew up when Trump got elected. Um, and now we're just kind of cleaning it up. Um, and that's the hard work that we're doing. But I think once we, we do it, and the doctor can use this metaphor better than I can, right? We're going to use antibiotics, we're going to close it up, and we're going to make it stronger and better than ever. Yeah, yeah, we're in the ICU right now. And it's code blue happening. So, yeah. And I do think while we're using these metaphors, it is like a, a beast cries out and lashes out the most as it knows it's dying. And, and that white male patriarchy. I mean, I love lots of white males. So it's no, not a, but the general, you know, paradigm that has, has gotten us to this place. Um, it's, it is dying out. And so we just have to keep, keep leading with love and being courageous. And, and, um, and I actually really want to mention something about that. I heard, uh, uh, someone with, uh, galvanized talking about that yesterday, how, when we're talking to our friends and doing the sort of on the ground, there's a place for anger um, and a place for, you know, letting whatever words need to come out, let it rip. Um, but also the power of, instead of like kind of coming at them with like the data and the hard facts, it's really more just the question of like, well, what if your daughter or your friend or your girlfriend or your neighbor that you really like got pregnant in a way that they didn't, you know, they were raped or, or, you know, something else was going on. How would you guide and support them? Because that, that takes it away from the politics. It just brings it back to like the ground, like sister to sister, woman to woman, you know, or, or, you know, husband to daughter kind of conversations. Right. So, um, just wanted to throw that out there too. Cause I thought that was really the power of love. Beautiful thing, of course. Um, 
I want to be cognizant of time, but um, if anybody wants to put some more questions into the, the chat, please do. And I'll just share one story that happened to me a few years ago on that point about how you talk about it. I was um, climbing Kilimanjaro, and I was researching all the people who are going to be doing this with me, because who wouldn't do that? And I found this, and one of the women who was on it was an OBGYN from Texas. So I'm like, okay, Texas, and eh, OBGYN, good. Austin, good. But I kind of looked at their website, and I'm like, I'm not sure. So I did my test, which is when I met her, I'm like, hi, how are you, blah, blah, And she said, what do you do? And I said, oh, I work for Nero for Choice America, Reproductive Rights Group. And she said, that's nice. I'm like, okay, you're anti-choice, got it. And so everybody on the trip wanted to talk about it. And eventually she and I talked about it. And I said, she said, you know, I just, you know, I just disagree with you. But very cordial. And I said, let me ask you four questions. Do you believe in access to uh, medically accurate sex education? Yes, I do. Okay. Do you believe in access to birth control? Absolutely. Would you ever have an abortion? No. No, I would never want to be in that position. Four, do you think the government should make that decision for every woman? No. And I said to her, I'm, you know, you answer them the exact same way I would. I'm pro-choice and I'm pro-life and so are you. And so there's a lot of misconception about what being pro-life is in the pro-life movement. People who are uncomfortable with abortion identify as pro-life. That doesn't mean they are adamant. It means they need to understand that being pro-choice is about not controlling other people's decisions. That's how we get to 80%. So we don't need to yell at people, but we need to keep the doors open without judgment on where they stand. And you will run into some people who are just crazy and then don't talk to them because it's, you have to save yourself. Sherry, did you want to add anything? Um, no, I think that more. I, I would like to get those four questions again because I think um, that's such a good argument. I mean, in looking at it through that lens and, and I think you know, we see all the rhetoric, be hangry, fight, fight, fight. But I do think there is, there's such an opportunity here to educate. And and just what Amy said, I think, I think you know, I was just thinking about someone I work with. Um, of course, I work for Providence St. John's, a Catholic hop, you know, hospital, not by choice. But um, but there's this kind of conversation, I think, could be really helpful, Amy. And I love that you shared that with us. So, oh, you're putting the questions in the chat. I'll also include the four chest, uh, for, I thought someone was asking, do we believe in birth control right now? I was like, um, yeah, <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll send out those four, four questions in our follow-up email. Um, so um, just to recap some of the general, I think, action items, because we had some folks come on, come on late, um, donate to the organizations who are doing good work, choose just one or two that, that you've researched and that really resonate with you and, and get involved, not just financially, but energy volunteering um, in whatever way that you can um, support petitions that you see coming out. I always like to say also just check the URL and make sure it's legitimately connected to what you, you think um, it's supposed to be for. Just make sure it's not some spam thing. Um, show up, numbers matter, show up to things like this, show up with, you know, each other, show up to the movement in general, um, and show up to supporting yourself because, um, as Amy and Sherry were saying, this is, um, uh, this is a marathon, not a sprint. When you said, you know, we'd be lucky if we could see some real traction in 10 years, I was like, oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> I want to see it, you know, real traction in a year. But so that's, that's really good too. Um, keep in mind and be our own advocates in our own uh, women's health and oh specifically also researching organizations that are in low-income communities so that we really support um, the healthcare practitioners and and our sisters and brothers and communities that don't have the resources that we do did i miss any of the kind of main points we'll follow up an email with everyone and and yes we will um uh, figure out how to provide a video to this um, in a private way so that all of your faces are not seen out in public, but, um, but can be 
can be accessing this information. Um, I'm just so grateful going back to the showing up, super, super grateful, Dr. Sherry, you just jumped right on board as soon as Jen made that connection. You're like, yes, I love having the conversations. If three women show up and they walk away more educated, then I've done my job. And, and um, Amy, you just jumped right on board too. So thank you so much. And um, Diane and Nicole and Kali, everyone who helped organize this and each of you for being here. And I just want to mention that um, Amy is about to go climb Mount Shasta tomorrow. <laughs> so let's all send her uh, strength and um, prayers for a safe journey up the mountain. And that's a place of power. So um, I think whatever prayers you you make up there will will have some good juju as they go out into the world. Um, and then uh, drsherry.com, she has some uh, sexual health and, and women's just so many good resources on her website. Um, and you can follow her on Lady Parts, the, the YouTube Ellen YouTube show that um, Jen Luke produced. And so please um, support them for the work that they're doing too. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for showing up. Yeah. Step one. Yep. Anything else before thank we sign off? Deb Foley, thank you so much for your support. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Have a good rest of the Thanks night. So Bye. Thank you, everybody. Thanks so much. For more information, including links to the resources we discussed today, visit momfluentials.com forward slash protect our rights. Thank you for listening. Take good care of yourself and come back soon.